today, unfulfilled as a mom, we have Chelsea Brennan. Chelsea is an ex-hedge fund manager turned mama money educator. She is determined to help busy moms change the way that we think about money, the way that we talk about money, the way that we teach our kids about money, and how we handle money because it does touch every aspect of our lives. This is a conversation for you if you are looking to not ingrain in your kids some of the things that you've had to overcome, those negative money mindsets as an adult. So without further ado, here she is, the smart money mama herself, Chelsea Brennan. I'm Tracy Bingaman. I'm a full-time working mom of five who got sick, burned out, quit my job, and now I teach women how to mom smarter, not harder. The pressures of modern motherhood are intense. You're a busy working mom juggling all the balls and living in fear of dropping the exact wrong one. Here you'll find the tools you've been searching for to confidently prioritize your life and optimize your ability to rock all the hats that you choose to wear. I'll show you how to break through your limiting beliefs so you'll have more time and more money than you know what to do with. Because even in the busiest seasons of life, you can grow to master your money, own your time, and be the mom with all the margin. This is Fulfilled as a Mom. Fulfilled as a Mom is supported by Curl Vitality. One of the most challenging parts about having curly hair is not knowing exactly how to style it right after the shower. Enter the ultimate style guide. It's 10 tried and true methods to style your hair with a key that tells you which method will be best for your hair and what characteristics you'll achieve by using it. It's packed full of Barbara's top styling tips. The ultimate styling guide pairs well with the ultimate refresh guide. The answer to that question, what the heck do I do with my hair in between wash days? The link for both the ultimate style and the ultimate refresh guides is waiting for you in the show notes. All right, Chelsea, welcome to Fulfilled as a Mom. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. I'm excited to be here. All right. So tell us about you, what you used to do, and how you came to be coaching moms about all things money. Absolutely. So I'm Chelsea Brandon. I'm the founder of Smart Money Mamas. And I started my career right out of college, actually on Wall Street. I went to Goldman Sachs down in New York, and I was a stock analyst, which basically is somebody who researches companies and decides if portfolio managers should buy or sell them. That was my first job. And then I went on to be a hedge fund investment manager. So I was actually investing very, very large amounts of money for outside clients. But right around after my first son was born, I started to realize that my work was not aligned with my values and the lifestyle that I wanted to live. I really wanted to have a bigger impact on my community, on the world at large. And so I left right actually a month before my second child was born. I left my job from my hospital bed to start Smart Money Mamas because I'd seen... I'd been running Smart Money Mamas as a hobby for about nine months before then and seen the impact of even just a little bit more financial confidence on families, what it could do to reach your dreams, to raise kids the way you want to, to be able to live where you want. And so I wanted to do more of that work. And so that's how Smart Money Mamas came to be. And so what did you do to prepare for that transition financially, logistically, kind of to make sure that you guys were okay as you stepped out of that sort of traditional role, good paying job into running your own business? 
Absolutely. And that's a great question. So this is a place where we have a, had a lot of privilege. And so obviously in the hedge fund world, you make really good money. My husband was a stay-at-home dad uh, at the time. He still is. And what we looked at, we'd been preparing for what's called financial independence for quite some time. So financial independence is the idea where you have enough money to live off of without working. Work becomes optional. And so we were no longer, we weren't at that point yet. We were still several years away, but we'd been saving very large amounts of our income for several years. And so we decided to take some of that money and kind of earmark it as giving me two years of runway to get the business operational. So if at the end of a year, it wasn't looking like it was going to happen, I would have another year to do a job search. And if not, if it was already picking up some momentum, which is what happened, then we would just continue on until uh, the business grew into being able to pay us an income. It was really scary to have at that point, a two-year-old and a newborn and no traditional form of income because my (laughs) husband was a stay-at-home dad. It was terrifying. But we had been preparing for it for quite a while. Yeah, so you didn't just sort of step off that cliff with nothing to catch you. You guys had no. planned. <laughs> yes, I don't recommend that at all. <laughs> People often ask me that when I tell the story of quitting my job. They're like, you just quit? I'm like, well, yeah, I just quit. But like, we spent a long time making sure that if we ever got in a situation like that, we'd be able to swing it and things would be okay financially. So I think that money is one of these topics that makes us really uncomfortable. We don't necessarily have the tools or the words to talk about it. And it makes us feel nervous. We don't know how to approach it with our partners. And so sometimes we just don't talk about it at all all. What is something that you can teach us that's going to help us to overcome that discomfort and start to having those conversations? Mm. Money is still one of those big taboos for us, right? It's like something that we don't want to touch. And it's something we kind of want to act like doesn't exist. And the reality, for better or worse, is that money impacts everything that we do, which is actually where this taboo comes from, in my opinion. So when we think about money. It impacts where we live, where we grocery shop, where we send our kids to school, what kind of clothes we wear. All the decisions we make, there's a financial aspect in there, even if it's not the most important part, right? We even hear families talking about how many kids they're going to have based on how much money they have, right? This very huge decisions. And so because money is tied to our ability to live, our ability to keep a roof over our head and foods in our mouths, we have a real fight or flight response to money. It can cause some really deep-seated fears and anxieties. And those are hard things to talk about, right? Especially on something that people tell us is just supposed to be math, right? It's just numbers. It's just spend less than spend less than you make, do all the simple little things that people tell you to do, but that's not how it works. And so the first thing I'd have you address every time we talk, think about money is to, to actually not think about the numbers first, to think about what kind of life do you want to live? Where, how do you want to spend your time? What do you, what values do you want to express and start to create kind of a dream picture of your life and then step back into the money, then say, okay, if this is what I want, how much is it going to cost? What dominoes do I have to set up to eventually knock down that big goal and then take tiny steps. But you have to start in the place of dreaming a little bit because we have to have that positive aspect. When we start in just the numbers, first of all, there's a lot of shame and anxiety there. There's a lot of finger pointing if you're the partner of who spends more, who does does this, right? But you're also really rooted in where you are today. And you're thinking about it doesn't feel possible, right? The bigger things, they don't feel possible. It doesn't feel like you can really change your habits. Instead of starting from like, okay, let's take a clean slate. And then let's 
build the numbers that go into it. So that's the first place I'd start. And the second thing to do, and this is really important if you're somebody who has a lot of anxiety about being bad with money, like I'm just a person who's bad with money, which is a money mindset we we need to dig into, but is to start with a money smile file. And what I mean by this is take 10 minutes, quiet place, a little bit of music, and write down every good thing you've done with money. And I mean like little thing, like you didn't stop at McDonald's on the way home and you made dinner at home to big things like I paid off a credit card or I paid off my student loans. Make a list because our brains are going to look for the negative all the time, right? It, it takes about nine positive interactions to offset one negative interaction. And that comes back to us being animals and trying to preserve our safety, right? So we focus on the negative and the scary. But we want to remind ourselves that the positives are there so that we know it's possible for us to make those good decisions and start to move forward. That's so powerful. And I think looking back and saying, here are times when I did the right thing, or I did the thing that made myself feel good and proud of me and the way that I showed up and handling money. And in that way, you're proving to yourself that you're not bad with money. You're proving to yourself that you do have the ability to control those impulses and to really make progress towards what you want to do money-wise. So you touched on this a little bit earlier. Let's talk about our mindset. So if someone is listening and they have historically had that anxiety, a bad view of their ability to handle money, maybe that was ingrained from them in childhood and growing up, like, oh, we're just struggling. This is how we are wired. This is what our family does. How do we break through and improve those money mindsets? Mm. So first of all, we all have money mindset work to do. So even if you're listening, you're like, no, I don't generally think I'm bad with money. We all have places where it impacts us in different ways. And so I want to start by saying that research has shown our core money beliefs are set by age seven, which shocks a lot of people, (laughs) especially moms who are like, oh man, did I screw up my kids? It's too late. It's not too late (laughs) for you or your kids. But what you want to think about is that around age three, Kids start to understand the function of money in in our world, right? They see that you pay for something and you get it in in exchange for money. They understand that. And so between the ages of three and seven, there's a lot of uncertainty about money. And we'll see our parents talk about money in a heated way, have an argument, or say something that doesn't quite make sense to us. And because we need stability, our brains need stability, we make big assumptions about little things when we're young. And those big assumptions become these universal truths to us that we carry around from age six or seven until 30, 40 years old when we sit here and we're like, why do I like constantly tell myself I'm so terrible with money? And it's like some little comment that your parent made when you were a kid that you made a big decision about money in that moment. And so know that your core belief about money might not even be something that you agree with. It might not be something that even makes sense. Like once we unearth it, you might be like, that's a contradiction to everything else I believe, but that's that's just been rooted there for a really long time. And so I want you to know that we all have these core kind of beliefs about money. When it comes to unearthing them, I think taking a moment to say, what is the first time I remember something about money? What was my first money memory? And for some kids, it's going to be, some people, it's going to be older than age seven, but a lot of us, it's going to be in that five to seven age range. And just take a minute and journal about that experience. What happened? Were your parents talking about uh, money at the dinner table? Did somebody say something to you in the grocery store? Did you want to buy a toy and someone told you that it was frivolous or cheap or or whatever? And then sit with that for a little bit. Because you're not going to be able to come to the answer right away, but sit with that memory for a little bit and come back to it and ask yourself, what decision 
did I make about money in that moment? Why is this memory of all the memories I've had my whole life, why is this one jumping out to me? And that's going to start to give you the root of where your beliefs come from. And from there, we can start to figure out how do we rejigger that to actually fit with our current values and beliefs and the people that we want to be. But we have to start there because if you just Google like, what are good money mantras, right? Which is what a lot of people do. Those mantras might not speak to your experience at all. And so we want to really make sure that we're starting from where you are. And so in your opinion, now the world is changing. And unlike when you and I were kids and we went to the store with our mom and she maybe paid cash or maybe she had a credit card, we saw this exchange. She bought back to school clothes at JCPenney and we went with her. Well, now we order those clothes online or maybe we're not shopping with our kids because they're not there. How do you think as a mom that impacts how our kids see or understand how money works in the world? Oh my gosh. So I think our kids just have a lot of assumptions about how money works in general. And it's much more mysterious than it used to be. Yes. You don't Um, see people spending it anymore. (laughs) One of my uh, favorite stories uh, is actually from my friend, Tiffany Alicia, who's the budget Nista. And she used to teach preschool. And she told me this story that they were walking to the park one day and her kid was like, one of her students wanted her to buy something and asked her to buy it. And Tiffany's like, I don't have any money. And the girl just goes, well, just go to the wall. And Tiffany was like, just go to the wall. What are you talking about? And so they keep walking to the park and the little girl goes right there, the wall. And so there's ATMs in the city built it and you go to the wall and you get money. That's, that's what her understanding was. And my sons have had the same experience too of like, well, just get your, just get your debit card, right? Just get your card. And so it does really impact it. And in that way, we have to be more intentional with our kids than I think our parents even had to of where does this money come from? How does it get onto these magic cards? What does something actually cost And having those conversations? And there's some really cool ways to do that. Um, the first that I would suggest is starting with paper allowance with your kids at a young age. Let them experience the hands-on cash. But as they get to the age where they can do a little bit more you know, deep thought. And this can really be that kind of seven to nine years old, moving them to a digital allowance system where they have their own prepaid debit card, that they're learning to manage money that they can't physically hold. It's a skill they're really going to need because cash is, is falling out of our society in a lot of ways. If you are looking to connect with other moms on a quest to find fulfillment, head on over and join our exclusive community on Facebook, the Fulfilled Moms Club, where you'll find support, all the mom hacks, and the warm embrace of knowing that you are not alone in your struggles. It's the mom groups where positivity reigns, you can bounce ideas off other moms, and share your own knowledge, tips, and tricks with others. We'd love to have you join us. The link is waiting for you in the show notes. And so the other thing I have to ask about this, these mindsets and these things that we're handing down. So like, We're going to think about our first memory with money, and then that's going to make us think about how we're talking about money in front of our kids, to our kids, how we're kind of showing up, and generationally what we're sharing with them about money and wealth and debt and credit and all of these things, which as a parent could be super overwhelming. But how can we be more intentional and kind of more proactive about Helping, you know, helping our kids develop a positive money mindset from a young age. 
Absolutely. So I think this is a place where we have to give ourselves grace, a lot of grace, right? <laughs> yeah. it everything in parenting. Like everything in mother, yes. Absolutely, right? Th- there's no perfect answer to this. And this is, we get questions from moms a lot of times of like, how am I supposed to teach my kids about money? I don't feel like I know about money. But the reality is we're teaching your kids about money, whether we are doing it intentionally or not. And so it's better to, the more we can think about it proactively, the better we're, we're doing already. The first thing is, to think about what are your family money values. This is an exercise. We actually have a free resource on Smart Money Mamas on how to do this. And sit down and think about what are your top three or four things that you as a family believe about money, right? And how it works in the world. For instance, net worth doesn't equal self-worth, right? So like the amount of money in your bank account does not reflect how you are as a person or how or the value of other people that we interact with in the world, right? That could be an assumption. Um, I have the skills to earn all the money I ever need, right? This is about your ability to provide for yourself and, and that feeling of abundance. But you, you kind of pick those values. And then you also pick what is the language we're willing to use in our house and we're not willing to use in our house, right? So um, you can say, I made a bad decision with money today, but you can't say, oh, I'm so bad with money, right? Because that is internalizing that feeling. But the simple practice of writing this down and having this one pager that we provide, like this is as a family, how we talk can really help bring your kids into that conversation, right? So a funny example is wants versus needs. This is a really easy thing to start with your young kids. What's the difference between a want and a need? And we've had fascinating conversations. My boys are um, now four and six. Oh, those are good ages for and want and need. We have had hilarious conversations. We've been talking to them about this since they were, were really little, uh, like two and a half, my oldest. And he'll have, we had this whole debate when he was like three and a half about whether a bed was a need. Because he was like, well, you could sleep on the floor. You could sleep on the couch. Like you don't need a bed. <laughs> so we were having this whole, and just the different perspectives, right? Of what does this mean? Like, is it is a car a need? And that conversation of, like, well, it depends on where you live. And if you live in a city, maybe a car isn't a need. But if you live somewhere where you have to get to work, a car is a need. And so having these conversations with your kids and having a set kind of guidelines as a family lets them also call you when you screw it up, right? And you get to have that conversation with them of like, you know, my husband just last week was in the grocery store and said, oh, I, w- I need Oreos. <laughs> my six-year-old was like, you don't need Oreos. You want Oreos. But do you, dad? <laughs> do you really need them? Yeah. And so it's just leaving that open door and being able to come back to them in those moments when, you know, I don't, even saying screw things up, but just it doesn't come out the way you want it to. You say something that you don't mean to be able to come back and say like, hey, I know mommy said this, but what I meant was, you know, and I'm learning too. And like, let them ask questions, let them have some conversations. The big one that comes up a lot for parents is not saying to your kids, we can't afford that. Um, that roots a very deep scarcity mindset um, or telling kids that something that they want to buy isn't worth it. This is kind of taking away their agency and their trust in themselves into how to use their money. And so instead, either tying it back to values, right? Like what are our values as a family? So for us, one of our core family values is about environmentalism, especially ocean conservation. And so when they want that piece of plastic toy that's going to end up in the trash, instead of saying, that's a waste of money. That's just going to break. It's getting down with them and being like, okay, so we've talked about plastic in the oceans. How long do you think you're going to have this toy? Do you think it's going to end up in a land? And letting them make that decision. If in that moment, that toy is more important to them, let them buy the thing, right? If it's if it's their money, right? Because this is also coming from a place of you've got to give your kids some of their own money and agency with money. Allowance is a big part here. 
you don't have to buy everything they ask for, but it's the language that you talk about. Because instead of saying, I can't afford that, saying, mommy has different priorities with her money right now. What is a way you could afford that for yourself or you could buy that for yourself? Let them start to go into problem solving mode instead of scarcity mode. And so really having those set family money values is the way that we start to set a legacy around how generationally we think about money. And I think your kids seeing you grapple with, struggle with, learn about these things alongside them, that there is a lot of value in your kids seeing you screw up big, small, or otherwise say, I was wrong. That wasn't how I should have said that. If I could go back, I would do this differently. And here's why. Here's what I've learned since then. Here's the, you know how far we've come or what we've decided. You know, we used to think spending all this money on credit cards was fine. And then we realized this. So how mm-hmm. do you, as a parent who's maybe in a financial situation, which isn't great, and you don't want to show your kids that that is the goal, how do you approach that conversation with them when you're in a situation you're not necessarily super proud of? Yeah. So first of all, let's remember that a lot of these things are triggering for us, right? We have these deep-seated fears around money um, and we might be in situations in the moment that are very, very difficult. And so first of all, just giving, once again, giving yourself that grace and that space to not, you don't necessarily have to address things with your kids that are currently open wounds, right? It's easier to talk about scars than it is to talk about open wounds. I think that really thinking about, are we ready to even approach this conversation with our kids? The next step is making sure that they know that they are safe and taken care of. And so we're never putting adult problems on on the kids, right? So if you're in a place where you're living, you know, really tight paycheck to paycheck or somebody's been laid off, this is a place to start the conversation with our kids with, this is what's happening. We're mommy, mommy and daddy, mommy, mommy, whatever your family setup is, are going to make sure that you always have food, that you always have a safe place to live. I don't need you to worry about that at all. Like make sure that they are very clear that that is taken care of. Let them ask questions because they're going to have questions, right? Like, um, does this mean that I can still go to the arcade, right? The, the last kid related questions, things that might not matter to us, but they're going to ask about those questions. Baseball? What about the what about movies? baseball? Yeah. 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 And then give them a way that they can help, right? Is some kind of goal as a family that we can work on. If you're working on paying off a lot of credit card debt, print off a debt savings chart and work as a family where you're coloring it in every week when you do the budget that you've paid off a little bit more debt. Talk to your kids about, hey, you know, I know we really want to go on vacation this summer, but we don't really have it in the budget. What are some ways that we could plan a staycation? Like I'm going to give you, you know, this is the amount of money we're willing to spend. You guys sit down and do the research and figure out what we can do with that amount of money. Engage them in a way where they feel like once again, they have some of that agency, they have some control and they're clear about what's going on. One of the things that we can fall into when things are scary is that we don't talk about it at all and we completely shut down and kids still pick up that tension and they're going to make their own assumptions, which are often much scarier than what's really going on for them. And, and that'll deep root some, some negative emotions as well. And so, and I think as a parent, you don't want your kids to walk through unnecessary pain, but also, <laughs> especially when we're saying, Hey, at our house, you work, you get paid, you do these things, you earn money. And then with your money, you know, with parental guidance and we're talking about values. And if you decide this is something that you value, 
and it was chintzy and it breaks. Like, how do you deal with that as a parent when they are experiencing the consequences of their own actions? That decision that we said, hey, is this a safe place for you to mismanage this $20 that you earned, which is your whole world financially? How do you walk with kids through that? Mm. So I'd say first, when we talk about kids having their own money and allowance, I'd start from an early age, making sure that they have spending money, saving money and giving money, right? This has become a very common way to do allowance, but we want to make sure that money's being set aside. And so even if they, you know, quote unquote, blow all their spending money, we can actually come back to them and be like, I know it feels like you've wasted all this money, but you actually already saved, you know, five of that dollars and took care of yourself for the future. We want to keep those goals age appropriate. I think that this is a place too where parents, we get so caught up in, we need to save for retirement, we need to save for college, we need to save for your first car, that we want their savings to go to those things. But to a kid who's young, that might as well be like never, never land, right? Like it's, <laughs> my money is being taken from they me. That's what a lot imagine. of kids, kids yep. take. So you really should set savings goals anywhere from a couple months to a year or two, depending on how old your kid is. Uh, but make sure they have those breakdowns. And then when something goes wrong, I think first it's it's sitting in the discomfort with them. So A, don't fix it. <laughs> like don't go buy them a different thing. Don't give them money back. Don't let them sit in the discomfort. Don't say I told you so, right? Like, cause that's not helpful. <laughs> um, and, and just explain to them that you understand the pain and that you've been there. This can be a good place to share maybe when you bought something that didn't work out the way you wanted or, you know, or just simply asking them a question, what would you do differently next time? And let it be a place where they can grow from and learn from. Um, an example would be, you know, we go to the fair every year, the New Jersey State Fair with my in-laws. And last year, you know, Henry, my six-year-old, who's five at the time, had his wallet, but we gave him an extra $5 for whatever he wanted at the fair. Well, he lost his $5. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, <laughs> he dropped it and it, he didn't know where it was. He was devastated, right? And he wanted another $5. And he, so we went and looked for it, but he couldn't find it. And so when he wanted this little toy that he didn't, then didn't have enough money for, we had to let him not get it. And that was one of the hardest parenting things to do, right? Because it was an accident. We all make mistakes. But he had to feel that to know that now in the future, because this was last August, his money always goes right in his wallet because with his extra $5, he just shoved in his pocket and he always knows where his wallet is, right? Because he lost $5 instead of being an adult who, you know, drops a $100 bill or does something much more significant to lose money. Um, it's really just having those conversations. And so it was, it was getting down on his level at the fair and being like, buddy, I am so sorry. Like that's happened to me before. I hate it. What can we do with what, like with the money that you have left? What can we do with the tickets that mommy and daddy already bought you? Like, Let's let's move forward and not shame the behavior, but just let let them feel the discomfort. And I think alternatively, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on when your family is winning financially, when things are going well, when you've been diligent and you've saved and you've worked to get yourself in a position where you have more than enough. And honestly, a lot of people in this country relative to the world, we automatically have more than enough. Mm -hmm. But when you're really living in this excess where you don't have to say no to a lot of things, how do you share that with your kids? How much do you share with your kids about how well you're doing? And how can we frame that in a way that it's like, this is a responsibility. We're being good stewards and not just, sure, we have all the money. You can have all the things. Cause I don't think that's teaching our kids well in that situation either. 
No, I think this really comes back to values, right? And the the lifestyle we're building as a family of what you're willing to do for your kids. Everybody's guidelines of how much they're willing to spend or the experiences they want to do is going to be unique to them. Um, but it's letting your kids understand what those guidelines are and then answering questions as they have them. So at certain young ages, they're not really going to notice as much that we have more or less than our neighbor, but they will reach an age where they do. And so when they come to us and they ask, are we rich? Are we poor? Whatever those questions are. It's being honest with them of like, we have more than a lot of people. We can afford the things that we most want um, and we're taken care of. And maybe that's enough for that conversation. But maybe when your kid's 13, 14, you do get into some real numbers. Like, okay, this is how much we make. This is how much the house costs. This is how much the cars cost, like whatever it is. And show them like, and this is what's left at the end of the month. And we decide as good stewards what to do with that money. You can get really granular with your kids if they're interested in that. But I think that comes back to, you know, really those, what do we, what do we value as a family, right? Because you don't want to just buy your kids whatever they want all the time. That's not helpful. It doesn't help to teach them anything. And I think that this is a place too where you can create some false, you know, kind of false boundaries with something like allowance where, listen, we will buy you presents at Christmas and your birthday. We will pay for things when we're on vacation, but otherwise like you've got to cover this out of your allowance and then make them have to make those decisions. Because even in those moments, it's your money. It's not their money. Right? And so letting them kind of experience having to make those opportunity cost type of choices is really powerful. Yeah. And I think starting young, we have a college freshman now, um, starting young with those decisions. Do you want to save this or buy this toy when you're five, when your kid is 19 and in college and talking about expenses and living on campus versus off campus, having those conversations with much smaller stuff it builds that problem solving. It helps them to figure out what's most important to them, what their natural tendency is. Like of my older kids, I have one spender, just spends everything. <laughs> one who would never spend anything unless we made him. So like you parent those kids very differently. One needs encouragement to not spend every dollar. One needs encouragement that it's okay to spend this money that you've earned. So what advice do you have for parents talking about college, sort of setting the stage for, are we saving for your college? How much are we saving? What's the expectation? Like I saved, so now you have to go or where do you go and what does it cost? Yeah. So this is a place that I think it's important to start those conversations young, money in general. But what happens in a lot of families is our kids get to be that 16, 17, 18. We've never really talked to them about money. They're getting their first jobs. They have questions. Um, and they want bigger things, right? They want a car, which means that you need to pay for car insurance. They want to go to college. And we even see families whose kids have dreamed of going to this one specific college their whole life, but the parents have never had a conversation of like, we don't know how we're actually going to afford for you to do that, right? And now it's become this like really internalized dream for your kid that how how do you say no? And how did this, this level of disappointment? And so I think starting to have these conversations in middle school is really the best time to start to talk about college. Here's what mom, mom and dad, whatever your family structure is, can do for you. We're saving this much money. By the time you're in high school, we're expecting to have this much, which means we can pay for a third of your college, which means we can pay for half of your college. For the rest of it, you're going to have to make it up with either loans or scholarships if you want help looking at scholarships, we can start to do that, right? You can start because a lot of them start around freshman year. You can start applying for a lot of different scholarships. There's some small middle school ones, but there's different things you can apply for. 
having those conversations. Hey, if you choose to go to a public university, we can actually pay for all of it. But if you go to a private university, we can only pay for half. And really just giving them those expectations will let them kind of build it into their plan because you also want them to understand what student loans do. The fact that we sign over you know, six figures of, of debt to 18 year olds who have no idea what they're getting themselves into is, is a horrible experience. And so letting them know, hey, if you choose to go to a public school, you know, you might not have, you know, some of these amenities that are at the private school, which I don't honestly know, there's not that many differences anymore, the name recognition, whatever, whatever it is, um, but you won't graduate with, you know, $500 a month in, in loan debt and explaining to that how that affects their, their future. And so starting to just give them some of those guidelines of this is how much we can pay for, and this is how much you're going to be responsible for, and then having an option if they don't go to school. And so this is a place that I really love saying like, hey, if you choose to go to trade school, we'll pay for your trade school tuition and we'll split whatever's left of your college savings. You know, we'll take it for our retirement. You take half to go start your business, buy your first house, do whatever you want to do. Um, if you start a business out of school, what does that look like? And so in our house, you know, obviously our kids are still little, so we haven't had these conversations, but for my husband and I, we've, we've talked about the fact that like, if they decide they want to be an entrepreneur out of school, that's great. Um, but they need to, if they want to use any of that money for business startup, they have to have a business plan and they have to take a certain number of business and management classes. Even if they're not doing it for a degree, I want them to understand the fundamentals of how business works, right. And have some kind of fallback plan. And so give them those other options and how that money can be used because that'll also just widen their viewpoint. We've reached this point, um, in higher education in general, where we just expect everybody to go to a four-year university. And that's not the right fit for everybody. And we don't even know in the next 15, 20 years if that's what higher education will look like. And so kind of giving your kids those options and thinking about personally, uniquely for you, how would you feel about, you know, if they choose not to go to college, does that mean they get none of that money? Does that mean they get all of it? Does that mean that it goes to a sibling? So like now you have a, the sibling wants to go to law school and it helps them. How do, how do we make this? a way that's fair because fair is a really difficult word when, as you mentioned earlier, our kids are all different and what they want is all different. And so it's a, it's a thing I would start thinking about and talking about by middle school. Yeah. I think that's really great advice and being proactive and also saying this door is the one that society talks about a lot, this door of college, of college, of college, but it's not the only choice that you have. And here are some ways that we're willing to support you in doing that. Here's our capacity for helping you. And then let's like work together to make that decision. That's such great advice. Mm. Well, Chelsea, if people want to go to connect with you, to learn more, to become a smart money mama, where can they find you online? So we're smartmoneymamas.com. That's mamas, M-A-M-A-S. And we're at smartmoneymamas on all social media platforms. I spend my most time on Instagram and TikTok. So come hang out with us there, but we'd love to see you. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Tracy. I'm doing a victory dance right now because you did it. You took the time to tune in, to reach for a better life, and to take care of you. Did our time together go by way too fast for anyone else? Head to fulfilledasamom.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's show. You now have the tools and knowledge to change your life. Go blaze your trail, take that step, make the shift, and do the work to create fulfillment in your life today.